Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Chris Graham with the National Racing Network. Proud to be joined here for episode one of Pizza at the Pagoda. Mr. James Watson, Mr. Mike McCullen, Mr. Tony Patty. Four dudes sitting around drinking beer, arguing about pizza, and talking a little bit of IndyCar racing, too. Thank you, everybody, for checking out the show. We appreciate it here. Part of a little Discord group we got going on, and we figure we we spend enough time yelling at each other online. We might as well do it for everybody else to hear as well. So we'll kick things off here first. Uh, we'll start with Mike. What are you drinking tonight, brother? Oh, I'm drinking a Miller High Life with a shot of Aperol. Called a spaghetti. Yes. Yes, yes, you would be. That is absolutely flipping fantastic. Uh, Aperol spritz, but you swap out the Prosecco for Miller High Life. Something only the something only the finest denizens of Milwaukee, Wisconsin could come up with. Okay, we'll add that one to the list of of Italian foods to try this week. Tony Patty, what are you drinking, brother? Oh, we're back to the good old-fashioned bourbon. This is the uh, Angel's Envy cask. Oh, I've heard good stuff about that. That's that's already on my list of bourbons to try here. Uh, James, what are you drinking? Uh, uh, great Powerade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only, only the super fancy stuff, you know, nothing like the spaghetti or whatever. Only the super fancy stuff for me. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yes. Well, I, I'm, I am over here enjoying nature's choicest products, providing the prized flavor. Only the finest of hops and grains are used, producing the original Blue Ribbon beer. Paps Blue Ribbon, another Milwaukee's finest here since 1844. According to the can, they're Milwaukee's finest anyway. Um, uh, so, PBR. Yeah, it's a PBR kind of night. Until we switch to Bush later on, because this is the last PBR pounder I've got in the house. But, um, yeah, we're uh, – now that we've got the I booze – PBR cases. <sighs> yes. Sorry. I, I lived they, off PBR cases in grad school. It, it's It's got some memories to it. Some pleasant is though you, you say it's Milwaukee's finest, but is it Milwaukee's best ice? <laughs> no, 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 no. Good lord, keep that communist stuff off our airwaves. <laughs> All right, boys. Well, you would not believe how much I sell of that stuff on a daily basis at work. It's <laughs> shocking how popular it is while not being necessarily the highest quality. Nor tasty, but you know, we'll, we'll sometimes you drink what you can get your hands on. So, speaking of that, of people who can only drink what they can get their hands on, IndyCar is in the middle of a youth movement here. You like how I did that, by the way? That's a segue, gentlemen. Nice segue. The, the youth movement taking over the IndyCar series this season. Um, I don't know that I would have expected Alex Pillow to be a race winner yet, but he kicked the train off here, and we got to see a whole lot of fun out of Pato Award down in Texas as well. So um, we'll start with Mike on this one. Actually, no, Tony, because I went to Mike first on the beer. We'll start with Tony. 
What do you make of the youth movement? Is this something real or are we going to get back to normal here soon enough? Oh no. I think the floodgates are getting ready to open, man. Um, we've, we've seen what the younger guys are capable of doing. And, uh, I think it's just a matter of time before teams are going to start looking to do the, uh, do what all the other guys are doing and it's, it's snatch up all of this, uh, young talent. Um, we've, we've got this, this problem where we have oversaturation in the feeder leagues and, uh, not enough seats, uh, being opened up in the mainly in, uh, in the, the premier series. So I think it's, I think it's about time. We're probably going to see it within, I say next year. I wouldn't imagine we probably start dragging up some of the young guns to, uh, IndyCar seats. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I mean, when you look at the, the average age of the paddock is, I, I would say, probably early to mid-30s, but it's kind of skewed by the outliers at each end. Y you have, for every, you know, Pato and Alex Palou, you have a Will Power, Simon Pagano, Scott Dixon at the other end that's skewing it to the high side. So I, I don't know how many more years Dixon's going to do this. He has six. I would think seven kind of puts him in that, uh, I would say special territory of talking about your name is there with Johnson, Petty, Earnhardt, and Schumacher. It, you are a greatest of all time. It, and that's not even in the discussion of are they one of, but yes, this is one of the greatest. So that really wouldn't surprise me at all to see Dixon get seven and then hang it up. But man, I don't know. It's it, You look at guys like Pagano who very well could be on the hot seat. And it was only a couple of years ago that he won the 500 and locked himself back in. But it feels like he might be right back there on, on the outside looking in here. Oh yeah. And I mean, um, if, even if you look at our winners right now, we have, uh, Herda who took a win a couple weeks ago. We had, um, I mean, so far, all the wins have been young guns. Uh, I think I think we're going to start seeing a trend here that, uh, you know, e even some of the uh, the new guys to the sport like Johnson and Grosjean, I don't think we're going to be seeing, you know, race-leading performances out of some of these, you know, newer old guys, even with the F1 talent coming from Grosjean. Um, I mean... I think I think we're going to start looking to the young guns to start setting setting the precedent and uh, building this new generation of IndyCar, especially with the uh, with the new chassis getting ready to come out in a couple of years. They're going to want the young the young folks to uh, get learning on that, and because you know <laughs> I hate to say it, you uh, you can only teach an old dog so many new tricks, right? <laughs> yeah, and look at the litters this year. It's three of the four, are, you know, like Tony said, are all young, and then Scott Dixon. And I think the nine is Scott's as long as he wants it. If he keeps coming back, I think Chip is gonna keep giving him that seat. I don't think he's going anywhere until he says it's time. So if he goes for seven, goes for eight, I and mean, whatever he wants to do, that's it, his. Yeah, Chip would be absolutely insane to kick someone like Scott to the curb. You know. Watching the youth movement, it's really 
unique uh, as a Wolf Power fan, as a fan of one of the old dudes watching all this top talent come in. And you just kind of start to sweat. You know, you're looking at how much longer does my guy realistically have in IndyCar? You know, I can kind of breathe easy because you you go around everyone in the paddock and ask them who the fastest pound for pound is, they will say Will Power. So Will doesn't have a whole lot to worry about, you know, with him just signing that new extension. But, like, it's interesting when you look at fans of guys like Hunter Ray and where they're going to be because... Ryan, out of all of them, is probably on the hottest seat with how his performance has been the last few years. You can't imagine Ryan is going to have a whole lot more time, especially with all the talent that Andretti has in their pipeline. Uh, yeah, that's uh, it. Ryan's last year. I think this is it for him. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of agree with that one. He's He has had among the longest and most productive careers in IndyCar racing, and it includes how many years where he was just screwed by Paul Genalozzi and, and that whole disaster of an organization when they were in IndyCar. Um, he's, he will go down as one of the best, but it just so happened he competed in an era with, you know, guys like Dixon and power and, and at the same time intersecting with young guns like new garden, who's already got two championships under his belt at 30 years of age. And how about this one, boys Pato award turned 22 on Thursday, which means he will be eligible for one of the longest standing records in Indy 500 history set 69 years ago by Troy Rutman who won at 22 years, 80 days old when he won in 1952. Uh, he will be eligible. Colton Herta, 21 years, 61 days. And Renus VK, 20 years, 261 days as of race day. Are the other drivers with a chance to take the mark? And in fact, Herta and VK will still be eligible next season to be the youngest Indy 500 winner ever. Could you imagine we could be talking about Colton Herta as a two-time champ of the Indianapolis 500 as the youngest driver in history to do it? We could be. Is he going to? I don't, if, if there's anybody who would have a shot to go back to back, I would have to say it's going to have to come from either a Penske, a Ganassi, or an Andretti car. So... Does Colton have a shot at it? I think better than most do, especially with Mr. Clutch and Coast on the box. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I don't know. I think um, I think we might we might be surprised with Aaron McLaren this year, um, just from watching them race. And I know they haven't had the greatest history the past couple of seasons, but. I think I think we're seeing a change in Aero McLaren. I think we might see Pato uh, really bringing it to the 500 this year. Um, it, it, I know last last year we had you know Takuma Sato, and um, I, I don't know if was was it a, was it a surprise that Takuma Sato won the 500 to you guys? Like was that kind of out of right field? 
for anybody else yes. a, a little bit. I was certainly shocked, but I, I couldn't say I was completely surprised given he's a previous winner and he's really good at ovals despite being a bit of a um, a wrecking ball at times. I think it was just more surprising that someone was able to challenge Scott last year because Scott's car was far and away the best all the way until that the last few laps of the race where Taku was able to come and kind of sneak it from him. Yeah, I, th I think I think we have some more stronger contenders this year. And I don't know. I, I would I wouldn't be surprised to see Aaron McLaren starting in the top ten and bringing it to the front of the, the pack at least once and at least fighting for the win. Yeah, with what Paolo Short showed at, at Texas and how he was able to make some of those moves, I would be incredibly surprised if they're if they've been kinda towards midfield like they've been the last couple of years. Pato is definitely going to be one to watch. If they give him the car, he's got the skill and the talent and quite frankly the the guts to go and, and do some crazy stuff. Uh as long as they don't screw it up on strategy and we've seen them kind of make some head scratchers this year. So I think it'll be interesting. Yeah. I think he's there. I think he's certainly in the conversation and, and I, it's good to see them finally living up to the McLaren name because they've not been so great since McLaren took over that program. At least now they're finally painting it the right shade of orange. <laughs> <laughs> problem all along <laughs> I, I will say this i'm loving the throwback to peter revson a, a little bit i'll say it's a more of a tribute than a throwback um it, they're they're starting to get things all pulling in the right direction and something that it seemed like mclaren was missing was when their f1 program was off the indycar program was off too and it took Zach Brown quite a few years to get that team kind of pulling the way he wants it to, but that ship is now sailing in one very straight direction, and they they could be poised for some very big things. Maybe not this year, but in the next couple of years. Yeah, the job that Zach has done with McLaren, I'm in awe because they were the the whole organization of mclaren was in such dire straits there was a long time where i i was afraid they would never be able to to pull out so the fact zach has arguably resurrected mclaren as a brand and as a race team from the dead and he deserves all the credit in the world because he did something that not even Ron could do. Granted, Ron was kind of at the twilight of his his time in motorsports organization, but still, I thought if Ron can't bring them back, then I don't think anyone can bring them back, and thankfully, Zach has proven me the fool. Yeah, that's... It, it, the McLaren name is always a good one for racing, and it, it's talking about McLaren and the pot, and Pato, I should say, uh, kind of brings us to our a the next uh, I'll say topic of discussion. Uh, what do we make of the 
lack of repeat winners so far this season. It, it's been very level across the whole schedule, but uh, we can't keep that trend going through the month of May, can we? I I could say that, yeah, we might. It's It's completely possible that we see another rookie maybe particularly at this upcoming race um the the gp race um take the win or you know maybe another one of the old dogs who have had has the experience there to do some do some damage i i don't know i could see this trend continuing up until the 500 it it would not surprise me to see it continue given the the amount of talent that has not visited victory lane yet this season. Um, you have guys like Newgarden, Power, Pagano, McLaughlin. There's four cars from Penske that if there is one thing that Roger Penske lives for, it's owning the month of May. So I would say you're talking completely game on at this point. Yeah, yeah you you know, I'm looking forward to seeing my boy back in victory lane since he's he's won so many. T- I think he's won the most at the Indy Road Course in the Penske organization. Simon's close, but I think Will has the most. So I'm really hoping that trend continues. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the next four races, these are all events that are marquee events for Penske, obviously the month of May and then the two events in Detroit. I mean, that's, you know, prime Penske territory. They're quiet so far, but they're they're starting to make moves. And I would not be surprised to see a Penske or two win and possibly repeat winners with either Joseph or, or will. And as, as we look down through the point standings here, there are some names that I would say sort of surprise me at the top of the list. Um, Joseph Newgarden is the first non-winner, currently fourth in points. Graham Rahal sits fifth in points after a good run at Barber. He was not real good at St. Pete after the incident, uh, but two good showings at Texas has him fourth. Pagano's fifth. Scott McLaughlin is in eighth power ninth. Jack Harvey is 10th in points. I would not be surprised at all to see Jack Harvey maybe steal a win someplace. He absolutely loves that Grand Prix course at Indianapolis. Yeah, that's true. I think that they've got some good tech. They've got some good talent there on the engineering side too. And he's been in the conversation the last couple of races. And he was certainly uh, a contender for that, those races last year. So yeah. What about um? now? I We're talking about the GP course. I, I, I agree with you, Jack Harvey. I think might be most in my my view would be most likely to be at least top five, maybe even top three. Um, what about Scott Scott McLaughlin? What do you guys after watching him take pole or not pole? Uh, was it second place? Um, I think I think we have. I think we can we can expect good things out of him. I wouldn't be surprised to see him doing well at the GP. And then especially, I'd, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Scott at the front end of the 500. Yeah, what a story that is. You've got a guy who's never raced an oval 
in his second oval race, finishing second, right behind, you know, that, that's a big deal. That, that's a huge deal for him. Um, I think he's finally coming to where we expected him to be. We, we expected him to be with his talent and, and the resources of the Penske organization. I think we expected him at the pointy end of the field anyways. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him contending for both for the next four races. One of the things about McLaughlin's performance at Texas that really impressed me was the fact that it was this, we were not talking about the Texas of old where you were three and four wide and it was who's got the biggest set of cojones swinging between their legs. This was very much a hit your marks consistently. Don't miss clean pit stops, the whole bit kind of race. That's what it takes to win an Indy 500. It's not always about being the bravest. A lot of times that race is about being the smartest. We saw a lot of that out of Scott McLaughlin on night one in Texas. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him, see him competitive. Um, you know, obviously, you know, is the atmosphere of the 500 going to maybe impact him a little bit? Is he going to get caught up in kind of the, the majesty of it? Perhaps, but. I mean, he's got a good team. He's got a good organization behind him. You know, he's he's a smart dude, and you know, we look at the success that he's had in in supercars. You know, he certainly has the talent. So, yeah, I mean, he he's experienced Bathurst enough times. He knows what it's like to deal with a crown jewel event. So he'll get he'll get the butterflies of the five hundred, but. He, he knows what he needs to do to be successful in a marquee event. And like you said, he's going to have the kings of the 500 and the Penske organization behind him, further preparing him for it. So I I think his, his, his floor is going to be at least making the, the, making a run at full on the last day of qualifying. I think it's a great point you make James about having done Bathurst because to McLaughlin, that's more of a monster event, a marquee. I want this from the time you were a little kid event. That's more of that event for him than Indianapolis might be similar to what we saw out of Alexander Rossi in his rookie year where he will fully now admit that he didn't know what Indy means to use the, the quote. Um, that may be something we see out of Scott McLaughlin. He has a ton of laps at the speedway already. Now it's been in testing and you haven't done the whole race day. Oh my God, where did all of these people come from moment? But outside of that, I don't know that things like Jim Cornelson belting out back home again in Indiana is really going to strike a nerve with McLaughlin like, like it would with some other drivers. And you want to talk about precision and, you know, we, we were talking about Bathurst. You talk about precision there millimeter wrong at Bathurst and you're in a wall. So he's raced and competed and won an event where it's precision is key. So He'll go out there and do his job. I mean, it might not have the, you know, I don't know. The whole majesty of the thing, I think, is going to, you know, weigh on him. But, you know, he's a professional. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him competing in the Fast 9. So now I can't believe that we have gone nearly or over 20 minutes, I should say, of recording here. And 
we haven't mentioned the name of Alexander Rossi yet, or at least I was the one first one to do it in the last 60 seconds. The guy finished second and third the last two Harvest GP races at Indy last season. He now has developed that appreciation for what the Speedway means. Is this his only shot to turn his season around? If he does not have a good month of May, are we potentially writing off the entire year for Alexander Rossi? I'd say so. I mean, he may be able to salvage a good few finishes, maybe a win later on, but if you turn up with a clunker month of May, then that that's a momentum killer in the biggest order in IndyCar. You're not going to be able to really think of yourself as a championship contender, a race-winning contender, if you don't show out in Indy in some way, shape, or form. But we still have 11 races to go after the month of May. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, it might be demoralizing if he doesn't have a good month of May, but there's still 11 races to go. I don't think he's going to, you know, mail it in after, you know, May 30th and goes, oh, man, I you know, didn't have a good 500. There's still a long season to go. And there's some events there that he's been really successful at, and he's been, you know, but is it him or is it the team? Is Andretti letting him down or is he letting himself down? Until you get past the Colton Herta question, which, yes, Herta's win was, you know, a few weeks ago at this point, but the entire Andretti squad has sort of been out to lunch here a fair bit. So are we seeing something like what we saw out of Andretti what, six or seven years ago, whatever it was, and Penske a couple of years after that, where they're just missing something, whether it's on the dampers or... The, the bits and, and flicky bits that you can't see on the race car from the outside. Andretti may be missing it somewhere. Like, they haven't been in the conversation. Now, obviously, in Texas, you know, there was the event in, you know, that, that put, you know, that crippled Rossi at the beginning of, the, of, I think it was, what, race two? And then Hinchcliffe got caught up in stuff, both races, and then were wheel bearing failures and all sorts of stuff but they just haven't been in the conversation with the exception of herda that's that's kind of really what i'm getting at is the hinchcliffe deal at um saint pete i think was as much of hinch's doing as it was anything else he left too much of a hole but outside of that you're really talking about drivers just not being there like it's the Andretti team has not been the same Andretti team we've seen in the last six to eight years yeah it, it it's kind of been that way for a while though you've had one car that's been right up at the front contending and then the rest of the car is just kind of no man's land I mean it it was Hunter Ray in Ryan's heyday and then it was Rossi and now it seems to be shifting to Colton. For some reason, they just don't have a season where all, or at least most of the cars are right up there, seriously contending for for wins and the point lead. They really just have one that's been carrying the banner. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm going back and I'm just looking at Andretti. And yeah, there's always one car that's been good-ish. And you had Rossi in 18 and 19, second in the championship. And then last year they they all fell off. And then last year, Herta was third in the champion. Obviously, last year was a screwy year, but you know, you talk Andretti in 2020, you know, Herta's third, and then Veach finishes 21st, Rossi finishes ninth, Ryan Hunter Ray finishes 10th, and Marco finished 20th last year. I mean, there's, yeah, there's like one marquee guy, and that's, yeah. It's, it's almost not a good look for Andretti. Uh, no, I was going to say, it almost has a very F1 feel to it, if you ask me, where we're building the team around the one, and everybody else is there to support the one. And it, it was taken as a little bit of a slap when Joseph Newgarden mentioned post-race that Colton was the Andretti guy they had to worry about, and he said everybody else is competent. I, I would say... That's a that's a pretty big slap at a guy like Alexander Rossi, who most of the field would look at and say is probably more than competent. There there's some guys towards the back of the field maybe that are competent. Uh but the reality is that's what we're looking at. Colton Herta is the A game for Andretti right now. So the Penske guys are not having to look at an armada of race cars between Ganassi and Andretti and saying, Wow, we've got 10 cars we've got to beat here week in and week out. They really have two. They have Colton Herta, and they have Scott Dixon. Throw in Pato and the McLaren, an oddball here and there, but for the most part, you're really talking about having to beat three or four guys on a week-to-week basis. But with that, let's we'll kind of segue off here a little bit. We'll come back for some predictions for the GMR Grand Prix in Indianapolis here uh, in just a little bit, but First, we got to do, let's do a little bit of non-racing chat and arguing with each other here. Um, we've had an ongoing bracket in the Discord server. A, a pizza fight to the death here. Uh, and so far, the biggest upset so far is Chicago-style pizza losing in the first round as a one-seed I would argue, and this is the reason I think it was Dayton was who they were up against, uh, got my vote, was Chicago-style pizza is not a pizza at all. It is an Italian pot pie. It's lasagna. Let's face it. You're all wrong. It's delicious. Oh, no, no one's debating <laughs> that it's not delicious. It's just not pizza. It's ironic that the uh, Chicago pizza had a similar performance in the tournament to the actual Illinois basketball team had in the real NCCA tournament. <laughs> wow. Throwing that out there. We're calling out college kids now. <laughs> better, than in, better than Indiana's done for the last handful of years. Uh, I'm, you all I'm can't a, be Ohio. What can I say? Do, do, I'm a Stanford. Uh, I'm a Stanford fan so uh success in basketball is not something we're used to unless we're talking like uh pre-world war ii when both teams won their natties haven't even thought about coming close since 
I, I think the bigger upset here is New Haven style pizza. Like <laughs> New Haven style pizza is regularly at like you, you look at top 10 pizzas in the country. Frank Pepe's and Sally's are at the top of every one of those lists. So to Sicilian style. No, no I wrong. I think that is potentially a little bit of a protest vote because when I think of New Haven style pizza, when I think of New Haven, Connecticut, period, having been there enough times, I think of snobbery. I think of Yale. Haven. No. I, I think it, it's one of those things that if the food, re, it's almost like watching a movie. If a movie, if all the critics love a movie, the odds are I am going to absolutely hate it. Because it's just not good. Now, I am a fan of New Haven style pizza. There is nothing like that coal fired taste. You just get that little hint of it. Oh my God, it's spectacular. But I can understand why somebody would say, eh, I, I'm not a big fan of New Haven pizza. I really had New Haven pizza, though. It's such a niche thing. But if you look at the description of it, you're like, yeah, it's just New York pizza, but it's not. It's better. Uh, no, it's, it is definitely a thing unto sure. itself. Sir, you better swallow your words that that is better than New York pizza. Oh, I'm just starting fights now. <laughs> fight, 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 fight. I'll I, swallow my delicious drink. I will say... Drink your shrill wine and... <laughs> leave pizza to the actual Italians, huh? His, his, his knockoff Clamato with Budweiser. <laughs> I've got, I've got stories about Clamato if you ever want to hear those. Uh, no. I don't know if I want to, but now I'm intrigued. No. That's going to be a no. <laughs> Something tells me that's for another podcast, but uh, I, if, let's we'll kind of stray off topic a little bit here, uh, but there is a way to come back to it. I promise. Is there any significance to Lewis Hamilton getting poll number 100 on the formula one side? No. Yes, it is an achievement. No, it's not at this point. It's not, it's like, they're just making shit up to make it, to make it feel like that. It's new that Lewis Hamilton is winning. He's a great athlete. It is a fantastic team. It's a bad show. We're at a bad show point for Formula One. I mean, nope. it's incredibly impressive considering that 68 was the the record for so long, and now all of a sudden, out of, out of nowhere, we're at 100 pole positions for a career. That's astonishing. When I heard that, I straight up did a double take. I did not realize he was even that close to that number let alone at a hundred poles so yeah that's impressive to hear annoying considering that everyone and their grandmother is over lewis and mercedes constant dominance but it's astonishingly impressive nonetheless i i think for me uh, yeah, I say it's a number. I Formula One has never seen 
a decade and a half of dominance like Mercedes has done. Um, I mean, to the point of, I have older kids who don't know anything but Mercedes dominance in F1. And you throw a name like Williams or McLaren at them and they go, yeah, that's those guys at the back. And I grew up on the wars that you had between McLaren and Williams and, you know, Mansell versus Senna and I, Prost versus Senna. And it, there was, you always had two. You, you never had this period of one singular domination until we got to the 2000s. You had the long period of Ferrari Schumacher dominance, which quite frankly, I think inflated the Michaels numbers. And I think you're seeing the same thing out of Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton. If Mercedes was not the dominant force they are, Lewis Hamilton does not get anywhere close to 100 poles. I will say Lewis has willed them to some of those poles and some of those race wins. So it's not all Lewis or all the car, but it, this is something that I don't think we'll ever see in that elite tier of motorsports ever again. Oh, I agree. And it's not so much that I'm not, it's not that I'm not like happy for Lewis and stuff like I, I'm, it is a great achievement and yeah, it's something that will probably stand in the record book for the rest of Formula One history. Uh, uh, but at this point, it's like, I'm just done hearing about it. I want I, 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 I've got to the point where I'm starting to see like, all right, who's going to make it onto the third place tier? That's my excitement now. And then who's the best of the rest kind of deal? Like. When Lando ends up on the podium, like that is a great race to me. I could care less who's on first and second anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's when, a uh, when when Williams gets into Q two and so close to Q three, like we saw at the Spanish Grand Prix, I was ecstatic. I was like, "Holy crap! Good job, Williams!" Like that's where I'm finding my excitement is the little things now in the backfield to make races exciting again but uh, uh now <laughs> yeah no i just can't i can't be excited about formula one winners anymore because it's always the same people do we think the cost caps next year are going to do anything to formula one no um i think it's gonna be uh the cost caps no the car changes, yes, but we're going to be seeing Mercedes maybe dominating for another year unless Lewis decides to retire and Botas is not as good in the new car as we expected. I don't think Lewis is going anywhere anyways. I think I just saw that he wants another deal done by summer break, and they're widely predicting that to be another two. I I don't necessarily think Lewis Hamilton's going anywhere because at this point he has nothing left to prove. I would say if I were in his shoes, I would get out now because if the next gen car to to use the NASCAR term here, if that next gen car doesn't suit him or Mercedes well and all of a sudden that he falls off a cliff, it's because he's not as he's not good. 
you can't turn around and say Mercedes is great, Mercedes is great, Mercedes is great, and then oh, we're nowhere to be found. That's that just doesn't work from a math perspective. So the reality of what we're looking at here is Botas is a goner. I think you saw that with how difficult he made the pass on Hamilton or by Hamilton on Sunday. He knows his time's almost up. So at this point, now Hamilton's going to have to fight with George Russell and potentially fight a car that doesn't suit him. What's the what's the rationale in staying when there's so much to fight against potentially? Stat padding. Well, that's what I was gonna say is like the new car, like I'd be I'd be taking my record breaking, you know, world championship record setting. No one could probably touch this ever again. Get out and Explore. He he's got that that uh, electric powered SUV racing team that he could pour his efforts into, and he's got things on the table, things he could be doing. Um, and I mean, it, it to me seems like like if you're you're at the top, get out now before the new car comes in and you're made to look the fool for a year, and it's going to frustrate the hell out of him. But and then, yeah, yeah go ahead. It, it gives all the all these jokers that that love to kind of tear down Lewis's accomplishments is that if he struggles in the new car, then everyone's just going to go, oh, his titles don't count now because he only did it because Mercedes was so dominant, even though all of us rational people know that he also did it because he's an unbelievably great driver. I mean, all you need to do is look how competitive he was with McLaren when they were when their twilight of dominance was starting to end before he came to Mercedes. Oh yeah. And I mean like look at look at when Russell in the Secure Grand Prix, when Russell stepped in the Mercedes, like if anything, that showed that the car is an extremely powerful dominant car that this driver from the relative role from figuratively the worst team on the on the circuit from williams is able to step into it and lead majority of the race had mercedes not botched their pit stop russell could have easily have ended up pole and finished the race in p1 So I mean the talent there the talent is part of it and if anything it it that that race showed that there are talented drivers sitting in less uh developed cars than the Mercedes and you throw them into the Mercedes and the Mercedes is going to do what it's been doing for Lewis Hamilton. Could Mazepin do it in the Mercedes? I don't know Mazepin <laughs> might uh you know <laughs> By cost Mercedes a bit of cash if they threw him in a Mercedes. I don't yeah, love to see it. <laughs> so in the Mercedes. He's gonna get his test in front of the uh the F uh, the French Grand Prix. How's uh, Grosjean gonna do? Does he think he's gonna put up some competitive times and uh in the not Mercedes? a chance. That car will be detuned by probably five percent, if not ten. 
I hate it, to say it, but yeah, no, I completely agree. It, there's no way that Mer, that Toto Wolf is going to let Roman Grosjean climb in the car and set a lap time. Maybe something, I'll say, half a second off Botas time. Something along those lines where it's a reasonable enough gap that you go, eh, not bad for the guy. I had some fun but not close enough that you go like, oh my God, Grosjean could actually be like a world champion in if he had the shot. Because I don't, nobody's going to give him one anyway at this point. So what's the point in even starting the conversation? Mm -hmm. It pains me that you're incredibly on point with your, with your prediction. Well, and, and it leads to a question to circle back to the IndyCar route here. It looks like our buddy Pato is going to get a test with McLaren, and Zach Brown is calling this a full-up test. Not what Grosjean's getting, not, you know, a seat swap or anything like that. This is a full-on, can you drive for us in F1 test? What do you think Pato makes of that opportunity, considering the only time we really saw him was when he was getting screwed by Red Bull? Well, I mean, look, let's look at the guy's history, right? He got screwed by Harding Steinbrenner, labored to find himself a seat, found himself a seat with McLaren, goes and wins a race. Got screwed by Red Bull? I think if he gets a shot, he's going to do his damnedest to prove that he's... He can do it, but at what at McLaren's to, to what to what expense, right? They're not getting rid of Norris. They're probably not going to ditch Daniel Ricardo for Pato. So, like, hey, yeah, guys, I'm fast, but no place for him to go. Does this open a door potentially for Ricardo to make that Alonzo transition of I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever the hell I want to do it? I'm going to come run Indy. I'm going to come run NASCAR. I'm going to run, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't, Daniel Ricardo doesn't strike me as the guy who wants a triple crown. Like that's Alonzo's big hard on for himself as he wants a triple crown. The reality is Daniel Ricardo just wants to go run fun things. I can imagine him saying, yeah, I'll give IndyCar a shot. I'll give NASCAR a shot. I'll go back and do supercars. All of a sudden, now yeah, McLaren has doors open. He's, yeah, I still think that he thinks that he's got a shot at a world championship, though, and that is still his end goal. And if you think that you can win a Formula One world championship, you're not going to set that aside to go and, you know, no offense to IndyCar or any other series, but you're not going to say, uh, I'm not going to try to get a Formula One world championship because I want to go, you know, win an IndyCar championship or win the Indy 500. I don't think that's a thought in his mind yet yeah i definitely think he'll he'll want to mess around in a bunch of different series but that's probably not going to be till he's at least 33 34 when it's kind of becomes apparent that he, he might not get the the world title that he thinks he's capable of and that we all kind of hope he's capable of which he's capable of, want him to be capable of. 
Do I want him to come race here? Yes, absolutely. I mean, look at the number that he picked. He picked the number three for a reason. He has been open about wanting to try NASCAR, wanting to try IndyCar, but I don't think he's going to do any of that until he says, yep, I'm done with Formula One. I don't have a a path here anymore. Uh, Well, or until Zach Brown says you're done with Formula One, because the reality is who has... He's not going to go play second fiddle to Charles Leclerc. He's not going to move to Mercedes. Red Bull is already filled in, unless Verstappen goes to, you know, Mercedes and you start those musical chairs. I don't know that Daniel Ricciardo is the guy who comes to the top of the mind as this guy will get us to a world championship. I mean, I think it, it, I think it used to before he left Red Bull, but trundling around in the midfield, substandard Renault stuff, and now not quite dominating McLaren stuff, I think it's made a lot of us forget the massive amount of talent he has. I think a lot of us have kind of forgotten that he is a multiple race winner. And with where McLaren's at and the state of the rest of the teams, I don't know if we're going to see that again, barring another chaos race like Sakir or Monza. Yeah, I I think that may be what, that's Danny Danny Rick's only real shot at a race win this year is kind of something chaos, but uh, let's... Speaking of chaos, the Segway King is at it again here. Let's spin off to the world of iRacing a little bit. Um, The month of May is absolutely massive for iRacing. Coming up this weekend, there is the fixed setup Indy 500s. Next weekend are the open setup Indy 500s. These are full-length races. Uh, We are actually running a little 500 this Sunday on the National Racing Network. So 500 laps for the sprint cars at Southern National. This is a fun time to be an open wheel sim racer as well. It's also great if you like driving uh, new stock cars and reverse at 200 miles an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Yeah, we'll... uh, we won't even get into that one. The uh, the release of the next-gen stock car, which was, quite frankly, just botched. But, um, yeah, we're, we're looking at a, a very fun month. There are a lot of private hosted races as well. 500 milers for the Lotus 49, the Lotus 79. Uh, the TNT series has the entire road to Indy doing a 50-minute train wreck next week. Uh, Everything from, what do we start with? Skippies or the USF 2000, whatever it is? USF 2000s, yep. Yeah, USF 2000 all the way up the road to Indy ladder, including the IR-18. So a speed difference of, uh, what, 100... 110 mile an hour, 120 mile an hour. Um, and we're going to put them all on the racetrack at the same time. That's got to be the my favorite thing about iRacing at this point is, yes, there's the whole, you know, it's a sim, not a game crowd. 
we get to do some really cool events and drive some cool cars that in the real world, we would never get a chance to sit in. And it's fun to take a car that is, and I think we had the conversation in the discord. Somebody was like, well, is the formula Renault, which is going to be our stand in for the Indy lights car. That's, that's a road car. Is that thing? How is that good on ovals? It's good on ovals. It's fantastic on ovals. Cause you can get a really nice pack going. You can draft, you can make some crazy passes. Yeah. It's, it's fun to take cars that were never intended to do what we're doing with any tour mods around die racing super speedway like yeah and then the the ir01 which is a a fake open wheel car that's supposed to be the best in road racing technology and we got a we got it going around little tiny tracks like southern national or old phoenix this Saturday, the Lara Extreme Series. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Shameless plug over. Anyways, <laughs> it's a lot of fun to be able to drive cars that don't actually exist in real life. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, we say, oh, it's it's a simulation. Well, yeah, that's the ultimate simulation. A race car built and designed by Delara, who are no slouch at designing and building race cars, to say... Hey, if you've got unlimited money and you want to slap a V10 in something, what do you come up with? They came up with it, and we get to go race it? It's awesome. That's cool. So, yeah, it's a, it's a simulation, not a game. Yeah, it can still be a simulation of simulations. It's simulations all the way down. Yeah, uh, it, it's it adds to the immersion of the month of May for me. Um, it, I grew up on the month of May being the track would open May 1st, May 2nd, and you practiced all week. And then you had pole day. You practiced all week. You had second round to qualify, second weekend of qualifying and bump day. It was, there was always track activity. Every day there was something going on at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And because of a variety of things, that's no longer the case. This lets us fill in some of those holes a little bit before we actually get to the meat of real-world racing action. And everything on the iRacing side is done by that Sunday leading into Memorial Day weekend. So what you end up with is the iRacing Open Indy 500s, and by Tuesday or Wednesday, you could be at a dirt track or a pavement track somewhere in Indiana every night of the week. I think our schedule, our master schedule of touring series has something like 17 races in 14 days. And that's not including all the road to Indy cars that are running at the speedway as well, uh, or at IRP or wherever. It's absolutely insane how much racing we get in Indiana over the span of like 10 to 12 days. So with that, let's let's kind of spin the conversation here around to, uh, and we'll kick things off with James here, and I'll pose this question to you first. What does May mean to you? I mean, it's kind of had a little different meaning because I didn't get into IndyCar when until I was a little older. I 
grew up around stock cars. You know, my dad's a dirt track track champion. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of my younger formative years watching stock cars only. And then I kind of got into IndyCar when I was 11. So it, it took me a while to really get a feeling of what may is what may means and the the why there's so much pomp and circumstance between for a race that takes you months to prepare you know it really is the greatest race in the world it's the the greatest spectacle in motorsports it has earned that title because there is no other race in the world that captures the you know it this is such a you can't really define it more than it's just special there's so many different ways to describe the indianapolis 500 that you're you just kind of stop because it, it's so overwhelming to describe a race that has literally 100 plus years of history For for the Speedway nerds in the group, one of the coolest pictures I have ever seen was when they were doing some paving work and they pulled a core sample all the way down to the base foundation of the racetrack, and all of it is still there. They pulled the crushed tar and stone. They pulled the brick, all the layers of asphalt that came on top of it. It's not like what you, you'll hear about some tracks getting repaved and it's, you know, they chew it all up and, and relay asphalt. Indianapolis has always just been sealed or repaved right on top of what's there. It, it That, to me, is part of the character, part of the tradition. The Everything about that place just screams the ghosts of the past are very much alive when you walk onto those grounds. Yeah, I'll, uh, it, it's, it's, I, I can't even describe it. I've, and I didn't grow up with any type of racing heritage. I didn't really get into racing until 2013, 2014, 2015. Like did not watch any amount of racing. Like I'd see it on TV and be like, Oh, that's cool. And I'd move on. Um, it was just never something that was, you know, top of mind for me. And then I started getting into it. And then I really started getting into it in like 2016. And, you know, for 2016, I got up early and I had a party, which was watched Monaco, watched Indy, got really drunk and smoked a bunch of meats and watched the <laughs> Coca-Cola 600. And that was like the first year, only like five years ago, that it really started to resonate for me. Like, what the 500 means, what may means, and then the whole thing around is, I've never actually been to the 500, but I have been to IMS. And I've stood on the track, and just, it's incredible just to be in there. Um, it's, it's all, I, I can't describe it, I can't put it into words. I'm, I'm looking for words, and I can't describe what it feels like you know, to drive up to it. It doesn't look like much from the outside, but you go under the tunnel and you and you come out and it's like, 
holy shit, that's the pagoda. And then like you actually get out on the track and it's like, those are the bricks. It's it's hard to describe what it feels like to be there. And I can only imagine what it's like completely full. And someday I will actually get to the 500 um, as I'm moving away from the Midwest. So <laughs> my trip becomes more difficult. But yeah, it's... I- I was wondering what he was going to say after smoke. I was wondering. (laughs) (laughs) When I heard meat, smoked meats is like, oh, oh, okay. I'm just a degenerate who went there. Yeah, you're not the only degenerate, but um, (laughs) it's. I, too, have never been to the Speedway, and at this point, my first trip there will be as credentialed media working that event because I have not been to a race as a fan, showed up, parked my car, sat in the grandstands, and watched a race as a fan since probably 2016. My day-to-day work is in racing, and when I go to the racetrack, I'm there to work and get a job done. That, to me, is how I want to experience the 500. I want to take in what everybody else is taking in. Um, And it really is one of those places that you get... It's like, (laughs) Mike, you absolutely nailed it. It's hard to put into words what that expectation is you know now i expect to smoke meat now so uh, well yeah i was gonna say a a big old slab of ribs sounds about perfect to to go with that but i did that for years that was i slept through my first race at pocono in 1983 i think it was um my family's history in racing we were never car owners we were never drivers but the sport has always been a part of who we are. My grandfather was the fire chief at Langhorn Speedway from 1965 until it closed in 72. Uh, that place is one of the few that scared names like Foyt and Unser. Um, we grew up, my Memorial Day Sunday was decorating bikes for the town Memorial Day parade on Monday was done watching the Indy 500 at my grandparents' house. That's just what you did. Your Sunday of Memorial Day weekend was about the racing. And it's a very odd thing to say, you know, people will say, you've never been to the racetrack. How can you have such a love affair with the racetrack and and say you love a place you've never been to? It's it's the quote. You just don't know what Indy means. The, The thought of, this is where Tony Bettenhausen died 20 years before I was born. This is where so many people that I look at as heroes literally sacrificed everything chasing that dream. That's what pushes me to make my business better. It pushes me and what I do every day is I want to feel a little piece of that. Well, damn, man, you're going to make me get all misty-eyed with that. That's, uh, wow. Not the intent of it, but. You you bring up a good point there, though. It's a place of, 
you know, were guys of God and sacrificed their lives to do what they love. And that I think that's something that you can feel in a lot of racetracks. And it's something that um, kind of sticks with you, especially when there's like nothing happening at a racetrack. And you think about Le Mans, right? The 1955 Le Mans disaster. There's a little plaque and it's, it's not really easy to find on the fence where it happened. But if you know what you're looking for and you can you stand there, especially when there's nothing happening on track and it's kind of quiet, you can kind of, you kind of just get this reverence and this feeling of like, Hey, something significant happened here. And it kind of just fills you almost with like chills. Right. Um, I, and I've, you know, I've been in IMS when there's nothing going on. I was there for a charity, a uh, charity bike ride twice. Um, and you get there kind of early in the morning and it's still kind of twilighty or, you know, still kind of dusky and the sun's starting to come up and it's just quiet. And you kind of, you, you appreciate it to yourself. Hey, you know, what, it, what this place must be like um, when it's full, but what it, you know, people have sacrificed there. People have died there. It's, it's a place of, you know, of reverence of, um, you know, guys go out there and, you know, they do everything that they can um you know to win it's you know it means something it's i don't think that a lot of people really reflect on kind of what some of these racetracks really you know the events that they've seen and they've experienced it's um i'm trying to think back and i was looking for a picture and i can't find it but i a couple of years ago i was in france and i was at the um the old grand prix track in reims and the pits are still there and if you ever get the chance to go see it it's just just kind of comes out of nowhere. You're driving down the road and there's racetrack, right? And pit boxes and, you know, all from the fifties and in French in every one of the pit boxes. And I don't remember the exact words, but it's essentially says in very small stencils, respect to this place. And, uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, you just, you know, what you how you were talking about IMS just made me think about that is, you know, these are temples to speed and temples to, you know, gasoline and, and, you know, you know, racing. Right. But there's a little, there's more to them that, you know, guys have given their lives in the, in the pursuit of being the best and being the fastest. And it's, it's a lot sometimes. Something I would say to the listeners is if you go on, and I don't know if you can do it on Google maps or not, but you can absolutely do it on Google earth. You can actually pull up the old, any old aerial photography that that people have done of that area. So there is one satellite photo that was taken on race day. And I can, this was actually just a couple of weeks ago. I'm showing my wife the overhead shot of IMS and she goes, Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Pretty, you know, place looks pretty cool. And then you go to the next shot is of race day. And she's like, what, what's the color? And you just go, that's people. Everywhere you look, it's a sea of humanity. Paul Page did it justice with the Delta Force intros, but the music was so hokey, at least looking back at it now, so hokey, that you kind of got this, you know, okay, this is an action movie thing. It, It literally is the largest gathering of humanity for a sporting event on the planet. Soccer doesn't come close. 
nothing else in racing comes close to the race day crowd at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And everybody's there for the same thing. They're there for the race. They're not there to watch Will Power win, or they're not there to watch, you know, Dale Jr. win. I, I went to a race at Pocono that Jr. wrecked out on lap five or six, something like that. By lap 50, half the crowd was gone. They were there to watch Junior. When that car went up the ramp, you know, in the back of the hall, they were out of there. And it was like, man, you, I don't know how you could be a fan of just a driver and go, oh, my guy can't win. I'm out of here. It, it just, I don't know. Everything about the place screams big. It screams mo monumental is probably the closest word for it. And then you have the museum parked in the middle of turns one and two that is actually a shrine at the shrine, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've, I'm, of course, a big wolf fan, but I've, I can't leave a race. If he crashes without lap one, I'm not going to leave a race. It's just, because there's still a race going on. You still want to be a part of that. And I'm just talking about when I used to live back home and just going to Sonoma to watch IndyCar races. I'm still sitting. I couldn't imagine leaving the Indy 500 of all places just because your driver goes out early. It's still the Indianapolis flipping 500. <laughs> That's why I never... I never understand people who go like, oh, let's just go, let's leave early to beat traffic. To heck with traffic. You're there to watch a racing event, and it's the biggest one. You want to be there for the whole thing. Why do you even want to leave as soon as a checker flag flies? I like to sit and savor the moment. Think about what I just witnessed. And again, I'm just talking off of regular races at Sonoma not the biggest race in the world. And I mean, I might be a little, <clears throat> I might be biased because this is, this is uh, my first or second major IndyCar season. I got into it not too long ago. And my first race was at Mid-Ohio in 2019. And like, you know, I was, I was, I was on board with the McLaren guys because they were, in F1, so I was, you know, going to start rooting for them. But um, uh, something had happened to one of the drivers, or they weren't doing well. I, I wasn't going to leave. In fact, the la the best part of the whole race was the last five laps watching. Um, oh, um, that was the uh, the Dixon Rosenquist. Uh, yes, the, like yeah. that epic fight for like the last three laps. Where Rosenquist is sticking it to Dixon, and oh, I mean, had a legitimate shot of taking the the Mid Ohio from Dixon. I was like, "All right, yeah, no, I want to watch this this rookie stick it to this old guy." Like, I'm, uh, this this is the tickets I paid for, you know, and uh, it's it's good racing. So my first race that I ever went to was Mid Ohio in 2015. And yeah, it's same experience. And I don't, I don't even remember who won that race, but I was like, yep, we're coming back next year. And I had made my decision. I was walking down the hill from the parking lot and I forget what was on track. It might've been lights. And I was like, this is awesome. I don't want to leave this. Like, this is mm -hmm. amazing. 
Mm-hmm. Back when, um, in 2019, when uh, MX5 was still sanctioned yep. by IndyCar, like that, that, that was awesome to me because that's the rookie car of, in, of iRacing. It's what I started iRacing with. I was like, oh, okay, I get to actually see what this looks like without the the track trolls and the and the guys who really don't know how to find the left, you know, the, the brake pedal. And yeah, no, absolutely <laughs> fantastic. So the thing that gets me about racetracks, and I don't know if you guys will agree with me or not. Maybe I'm just weird. The smell. There's a smell to the racetrack. Yes. Oh that my! Once God. you get it, and you get that in your nose, the 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 fuel and the rubber and the the track, you get that smell, and it's just like it's it's intoxicating. Yes, I and I would say, to me, the entire sport is very sensory overload because you couple that with the visuals, the sounds that are absolutely unreal. Uh, my first race that I remember attending was the IndyCar race at Pocono in 1986. That was not quite the 20,000 RPM V10s. They were, I would say, probably 13 or 14,000 RPM cars. The, the shriek that those cars made. Television does not do the justice of any race car or the sound of any race car justice the sounds are visceral it is loud everything about it is just holy cow one of the coolest things i have ever gotten to do at a racetrack was 2018 uh i think it was 2018 the year robbie wickens crash at pocono I shot the start of the race laying basically on top of the outside boilerplate wall in turn one. That iconic shot of the cars five wide coming at you, they were literally coming at my head and about eight other photographers that were down there. That was the most alive I have ever felt was watching these animals come out of turn three at full blast and you're looking straight at them going there's no way they make this corner and everybody just slots in and oh man and then you heard the wreck in turn two and it was like the entire tone of the day changed but to your point about the racetracks yeah you can see a whole lot from up high there is nothing like the view from down low to me nope no, it, 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 you feel it in like your, you hear it, you smell it, you feel it. Um, I was at, uh, MIS a couple of years ago. I had gone for the, the truck race. Uh, but before the truck race, there was cup practice and you walk into MIS and you get through the gate. And before you head up to the stands, there's kind of just a, like an open area that you can stand and turn one. And these things just come screaming by you. And the, you know, the, yeah, NASCAR, right? You know, the cup cars, those V8s, they shake everything. And you get them out on track, you know, going full clip around, around MIS. That's, it's a, it's a truly full body experience. <laughs> it's, it's, you can't explain it to anyone. People are like, why do you watch cars go around in circles? 
you know, why do you spend your entire, you know, free time uh, during the summer, you know, going to racetracks with a bunch of rednecks watching cars go around in circles? It's like, go, go to a race and tell me that you don't want to go back. I had I took a buddy of mine who is not a racing fan to the 2015 return to Pocono, and we had seats. I made sure we had pretty good seats, start finish line, upper 200 level, so you could see the whole place and everything else. And for the start of the race, I said we are going to the end of the grandstands, closest to turn one. And he's like, dude, we're really going to stand here for a half hour. And I was like, you have no idea. They came, but that was the only year they attempted the three wide start, hearkening back to the triple crown era. And instantaneously on the green flag, we hooked a race fan for life on the oh my God moment when they all come flying past you. I mean, at Pocono, that point of the track at Pocono was probably 240 mile an hour. And you're just looking at these guys like, okay, what are they going to do it again? What are they going to do it again? Don't worry, bud. We got about 40 seconds and they're going to do it again. So, but with that, I would say boys, we've been on the air for, or at least recording here anyway, for an hour and 20 minutes or so. Let's kind of transition things into our, Look ahead to this weekend's GMR Grand Prix at Indianapolis. You can't ignore Alexander Rossi. You can't ignore Team Penske. But there's a lot of other really cool storylines that are going to be coming up here in just a few days. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how things unfold uh, prior to the race and kind of where positions sit prior to green flag. I'm I'm gonna put some I'm gonna I'll, I'll go on record now I'm gonna say we're gonna see we're gonna see Scott McLaughlin in top I'll say I'll even say top five to start the race and uh, Pat Award top ten. I don't know that that's exactly going out on a limb to say we can expect to see. Pato running up towards the front, but there are some, would it be a surprise to see Alexander Rossi run at the front at this point? Uh, at this point? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say we're quite there yet. I mean, he was right on Pato's wing for the most of Barber. I don't think we're quite at that point. Yeah, that, that, I would agree with that, I guess, a little bit. You know, you're he's not having that bad of a season. He's just not having the season that you might have expected out of him. Taking a look at the, um, we get the media opportunities uh, for the week. Tomorrow, Indy 500 winner Takuma Sato and Graham Rahal have a media availability at 1 o'clock. Uh, that's typically team-related and team-scheduled. The interesting one to me is 2 p.m. tomorrow afternoon. A.J. Foyt, Larry Foyt, and a mystery guest will be making a media teleconference availability. 
Who in the world would be a mystery guest that you would put with AJ Foyt and Larry Foyt? Dale Earnhardt Jr. <laughs> Lewis Hamilton. Clearly. Why, why wouldn't you? <laughs> the Dale calls are out in full force. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Could you imagine an 88 Mountain Dew nationwide Chevrolet powered by A.J. Foyt? Oh, my goodness. There is not a chance that Junebug is coming out of retirement. The guy won't run a super speedway race, let alone. I don't think Miss Amy's going to let him climb inside of an Indy car for any reason at this point. Um uh, I, don't think, I don't think we're going to be looking at. Uh, I don't think we're looking at a race. Maybe, maybe he's taking over the team. Seems to have his hands in everything else. Uh, well, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of an interesting point that you bring up there because AJ Foyt Racing has pretty well documented financial struggles at certain points. Uh, it does not help them that they run out of two shops, one in Houston, one in Indianapolis. It seems to me like it, this doesn't seem like the type of announcement where you're going to say, hey, we're going to run a third car at the 500. Unless, and this is the only but, caveat, whatever you want to call it to that. Uh, Foyt's a Chevy team, correct? Or are they running Hondas now? They're a Chevy team. Yeah, they're a Chevy team. The only way I see Foyt running an extra car for the 500 is to eat up the 18th and final engine lease and prevent someone like Top Gun Racing from running that car. Was Kimball a third car, or is he replacing somebody else for the 500? Um... Is he running the whole month of May now? I don't remember. Mm. That is a very good question. Let me pull up the media guide and see what information that may have. Um, the number, by the way, totally different subject here, but the number of times that Dale Coyne is able to weasel his name into the media guide is pretty epic. Because there's Dale Coyne racing, there's Dale Coyne with whomever, there's Dale Coyne with Vassar Sullivan, Dale Coyne with, Dale Coyne is um, basically everywhere you look. AJ Foyt Racing is listed in the media guide as having Sebastian Bourdais, Dalton Kellett, and Charlie Kimball. Kimball is listed as GMR Grand Prix and Indy 500 only. So that's the third car. Okay. Could they be running a fourth because of the... I don't know if you guys have seen. Is their fourth? Uh, oh yeah, Hildebrand is in the number one, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's in the one. There's no way they run a fifth. I can't see that team prepping five cars. The reason I, I'm bringing up the thought of an extra car is the engine lease that is available. There is one left, which would put them to 36 cars. Both teams that are theoretically in the running for it deserve to have the word team kind of in air quotes around it because Top Gun Racing is the most underfunded team uh, maybe since 
Dennis Vitolo, who mortgaged everything to run the 500. They are, I mean, they're selling spaces on banners to try to fund that race team for the month of May. So it tells me that IndyCar wants that last engine lease in a at least semi-competitive race car. Taking a look at the schedule for the, uh, for the rest of the week here, Joseph Newgarden and Will Power are going to be up on Wednesday, and then Friday it's already time for the front row for the GMR Grand Prix. Saturday is race day, so looking back towards the picks here a little bit, what, who else are we thinking besides the obvious? Because we'll get to the obvious when it's time to make our picks. I think Jack Harvey, like we said earlier, is that got to be in the conversation. Yeah, and, and Mike Shank would love nothing more than a win at Indianapolis to get the first win for his IndyCar program. To have that come at the Speedway, I'll say it this way. I would want to be there for that party afterwards. How do we feel about Roman Grosjean with uh, the Indy GP? Oh, that's a good one. I definitely think Rogro has enough speed to to put that car in a pretty nice position. Yeah, no, I was thinking that I used to, like it's it's an XF1 track, so it might be suited to his skill. It it's very possible we could see Roman actually perform decently. Assuming he doesn't get totally screwed by strategy and or pit crew, which seems to be part of his issues this year. Well, you never know. Gunther Steiner might just show up randomly and get on the pit wall. <laughs> I don't know if that makes it any better. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's his luck. Uh, yeah, that's if all you're looking at is luck being the difference between a driver and victory lane, luck is going to turn soon enough. You make enough starts, you log enough laps, you're going to get a little bit of luck. The one that, to me, may be one of the more interesting stories of the weekend is Connor Daly because he does have the traditional road course background. He has a lightning-quick teammate in Renus VK who was very good in the Harvest GP races last year. That Ed Carpenter team really does get cranked up for the speedway maybe not the road courses but absolutely for the speedway any other rookies we could look at like uh we expecting jimmy johnson (laughs) jj okay we are 90 minutes into the show here and we finally got to mr carvana ass um I want those pants. Let's okay. Let's put a let's put a wager on this. Um, Jimmy's goal has been to not finish last, which to this point he has accomplished. I would say if he finishes last, James Watson has to take a picture for everybody in a Carvana bedazzled ass pair of jeans. I would do that even if he did. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I did that. challenging. Yeah, come on now. Uh, okay, so I what? <laughs> so, so then, what's the? 
I mean, yeah, we're trying, you know, making a little bit of light out of it, but what are the realistic expectations of Jimmy Johnson here? Is it still don't finish last? Yes. At this point, yeah. I mean, he, he's still got an awfully big learning curve, but it's going to take a little bit for him for a, a top 10 on pure pace to be completely realistic. I, I believe mean, if he falls through and comes back next year, I I think next year he might get a top 10 off of pace, but... Well, let's not negate the fact here. This is a road course that he knows. He did run the IMS road course last year in the cup cars. So he doesn't have the same challenges that he's encountered at Barber and at Gateway or at um, St. Pete of everything about this place is foreign to me. He's now going into a situation where he knows Gasoline Alley, he knows the Speedway, and he's driven on the course before. Maybe this is a chance where he can actually show a little bit of potential that might lie inside that old man's body. (laughs) I didn't think so either, but it was worth a shot anyway. (laughs) (laughs) The silence is deafening. Yeah. I've said my piece on Jimmy Johnson on this podcast. I'm not going to say any more. Uh, well, okay. To to give the listeners some of the backstage stuff here, we have done a couple of test recordings where Mike has given us a nice full view of what he thinks of Jimmy Johnson's performance and, and quite frankly, his entry into IndyCar at this point. Um, We'll get it out of him. I guess he hasn't had enough of the champagne of beers yet to to fully engage with us on it, but we'll get him tuned up a little bit deeper into the month of May here and, and really get it out of him. Um, who else is, is you- somebody that, that we look at and go, I'm really expecting a lot, or maybe this is the week that we see the fall off. And none of the guys at the top I see falling off right now. I think they're all where they should be. I think we're going to see some guys who need to start doing more, like Will. Hey, he's doing fine, okay? How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know that you can say that, that Will's doing fine. I mean... The one guy that that jumps out at me as really needs to sort of step things up here uh, is Alex Palou. Because, yes, he had the opening weekend win that was completely dominant. He needs to not have the fall off. And if there was a place that I can see kind of that domino of one thing into another, into another, into another happening, is going to be at the Speedway. You're doing things back-to-back weekends. You're you're going from the Grand Prix this weekend, very quick turnaround to oval practice, whole day qualifying weekend, and before you know it, you're at the Indianapolis 500, which is a double points race. You could be staring down a massive swing in points if Alex Palou doesn't get the month of May right. 
it looks like things probably gonna be encouraged to bounce back after last week's awful weekend for him and Sebastian Bourdais. You want to talk about a weekend to forget? That man <laughs> had it. He got punted by Newgarden. He got destroyed at the beginning of race two. Like, not talking about a guy who wants to forget a weekend and wants to come out swinging. It's it's the angry Frenchman. Yeah, and I mean, he's currently 14th in points. Alexander Rossi is actually right behind Sebastian Bourdais in points. That kind of gives you an indication of the kind of pace that Bourdais has had when he goes, you know, ran a total of, I don't know, 60 laps or whatever it was in the IndyCar weekend at Texas. He's still ahead of Rossi, Rosenquist, Hunter Ray, Hinchcliffe. There's a lot of names that are way down the food chain from, from where Sebastian Bourdais is. That car could be very, very quick this weekend at the Grand Prix. So we've reached the time in the show where we're going to get our picks to win and our anchovy of the week. Um, we'll go back to where we started the night here. Mike, uh, Let's do picks to win first. Who do you have to win this weekend's GMR Grand Prix? You know what? I'm going to say Jack Harvey's going to win this thing. Just get a feeling. He's been at the top of the conversation a couple times. He's been good at the at the Grand Prix. Why not? This is his year. That is an incredibly interesting pick to kick things off. I mean, I love the taking the outlier here. Uh, Tony, you're next up, bud. Who's the, uh, who's the race winner this weekend? Uh, as much as I want to say Pato Award, because I'm the McLaren diehard here, I'm going to go out and say Scott McLaughlin. I think we're going to see good things out of him this week, and uh, I think we're going to see him bust out into, uh, into the front runners here very, very, very soon. I think this might be the race to do it. So we're 0 for 2 on picking chalk, which is absolutely spectacular. It'll give us something to argue about next week. James, who do you have? Who is your winner of the weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course? I'm pretty sure you all know who I'm picking to win. Jimmy Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Calvana, ass himself, headed to victory lane, according to Mr. James Watson. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll mark down Will Power, but you're going to have to do something stupid if Jimmy Johnson does anything but finish last this weekend. Uh, I'm going to say same team, different driver. He's been very quick after his opening lap stupidity at Barber Motorsports Park. Uh, I think Joseph Newgarden starts the double with the victory at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. And now we get to move to the, well, the fun part of the show to close things out here. We're going to pick the anchovy of the week, the pineapple of the week, whatever doesn't belong on a pizza. That's who our uh, our guy that has a hard weekend goes to. Uh, we'll go in reverse order this time. So, James, who's the anchovy of the week? Mm, I, I gotta say, probably 
RHR. I hate to say it, but I think he continues his kind of meh run of results in recent past. I, that's the closest to a chalk pick that we've seen so far. So I, I'm glad to see that we're kind of heading back to some normalcy here. Tony, who is it? Who's the pineapple of the week in the, uh, the guy who has the toughest go? Uh, I'm going to say Santino Ferrucci. Ooh, ooh. Well, well, you've already called it. For, I was going <laughs> to say it's Ferrucci or Fittipaldi. One of the two. One of those two is going to screw up something awful at this track. I just feel it. I, it's funny that you mentioned the name of Pietro Fittipaldi because that's who's on my list as the guy who's going to lay the big fat egg this weekend. Um, I, I don't know what it is. The kid is very talented, but some of it to me is sort of the whole Rick Ware racing aspect of things. And although he's actually, he's not even running this weekend, is he? Oh, no, because Grosjean would be running. Grosjean will be in the 51 car. So, yeah, so your pick of Ferrucci. I don't even know. Is Ferrucci running this weekend? I think so. Damn. So, all right. Well, Mike, who's your pick here? Who's the, uh, who, who's bound for some oh. ugliness? You want a chalk pick? How about Dalton Kellett? Yeah, that one's almost like cheating, but yeah, we'll give it to you. Um, is, he, is he still in the apron in St. Pete? Did they finally? The, the <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just ripped that right out of the Discord. I, I couldn't let that go by. Uh, yeah, that's um, when the car's that off the pace that they just go, hey, yeah, you can leave it there. We'll get to it eventually. Uh, Dalton Kellett I've is. I've never seen that before, ever. It was really common back in the eighties. Not so much today. Yeah. Um, no, just, you're good there. You, you especially, there. especially with the fact that he was not exactly off the racetrack where that car was parked. Um, nope. I, I'm really surprised that, that he kind of, they kind of left it there, but um, the other name that just kind of sticks out, at me like a very very sore thumb of you're not going to have a good weekend um marcus erickson he's i mean he's 13th in points he's ahead of Borde rossi rhr but it, it just seems like erickson is not fully in sync with that ganassi team yet and this is i don't know that it's make or break weekend for him but he's got to be getting close Chip likes winners, and, and Erickson's not close yet. Yeah, but they got to send him out with four wheels on, though. <laughs> Chip can't like winners if his pit crew is leaving tires off. Uh, yeah, that's true. But still doesn't change the fact that even with that one incident negated, he still has not been nearly as quick as his teammates have. Teammates Fair. are currently 1-3 in points. Uh, sitting on a combined 280 points. And Erickson is sitting on a lowly 80 back there in 13th. With a little bit of a change in luck, 
or some other drivers, it is absolutely conceivable that Marcus Erickson could be as low as 20th in points by the end of the month of May. So, but with that, we'll, we'll wrap up things here on the first public edition of the Pizza at the Pagoda podcast. This one's been a, a ton of fun to record here tonight, boys. And um, we'll kind of go around the horn here, bottom up, as you're seeing it on your screens, gentlemen. Tony, Patty, final thoughts. What are you thinking? What are you planning on heading into this weekend? Uh, I expect a good race. I'm, I'm, it's better than uh, expecting Lewis Hamilton to win. Though you never know at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say we get better than the Circuit de Barcelona, Catalonia. That's for sure. Uh, Mike, what are you thinking here? Where are you watching the race from this weekend? And, and what are your thoughts? Uh, I'm going to be sitting in a hotel room and uh, outside of Albany, New York, because I'm going out to get my the house I'm trying to buy inspected. So I will be tuning in for this somewhere, hopefully in my hotel room, maybe somewhere else. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be a good weekend regardless, right? It's it's always fun to have the discussions of you know, who do we think is going to be good because we don't know, right? We know that there's strong players, but this series surprises us every week. So I think it's going to be a great weekend no matter what. Obviously, it's the you know the prelude to you know the big stuff coming on later in the month. So it's going to be a good weekend regardless, and I'm excited for it. All right, James, what do you got going on this weekend? And uh... What is what are your watch plans? Goodness, I I don't even know when I'm gonna be able to 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 watch because like I have the DSX series on Saturday, come compete fun series. Um, I got the the little 500 Sunday afternoon, and then right over to the very next NRN broadcasted race which I will be handling some of the broadcasting duties along uh, NRN's own Chris Graham. Great guy, a little prickly to deal with, but a good guy nonetheless. So, yeah, I'm going to have to find some sort of opportunity to be able to, to get all the racing watched. Yeah, that's where you put the big screen up uh, and make everybody else suffer. But, yeah, we're I'm looking forward to a, a very good weekend of racing. Uh, interesting schedule, how everything's going to kick off Friday, run Saturday. Obviously that gives them Sunday to do the conversion to the oval. And then we kick off practice on Monday. So, uh, we'll be watching here from national racing network, master control, a ton going on this week and this weekend, uh, I racing broadcast, real world stuff, you name it. We've got a ton of it coming up on NRN, uh, but we're looking forward to it and Boys, I'll tell you what, fantastic show this week. Hopefully the viewers think the same thing here. Make sure you check us out on all of the major podcasting platforms. Search National Racing Network, and you'll get every episode of the Pizza at the Pagoda podcast. It's been a ton of fun, and now it's time for us to say goodbye and enjoy the week's worth of racing coming up here. For James Watson, Mike McCullen, and Tony Patty, my name is Chris Graham. It's been a pleasure to have you listening with us. Hopefully, we will get to talk to you again 
in about a week or so. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, guys.